Just so you know, we will be in John 16, 21 today. Um, we will be uh, wrestling with what happened right after what we did last week. Because last week we did the, you know, the whole feeding of the 5,000 kids story. So if you remember that, you remember Jay acting a fool up here and the kids uh, enjoying that quite much. I'm... Um, uh, I'm very excited about digging in what we're going to be digging in today. Um, just so you know, uh, be praying for my girls. Both my girls uh, are sick, so I will be back there. But if you do not want to say hi to me or shake my hand, I totally get it. I am good, uh, but my, my kids were, so that's why I was a little bit, not, a little bit more distant this morning. I can tell you daylight savings times mess me up. It messed me up. Everything was off. I'm usually here early, but I was taking care of the girls. And I, and I want to thank everyone. I was texting people last night. Hey, you know, who knows if I get sick or something happens. Uh, everyone was super supportive and ready. But I can guarantee you this morning was like I'm supposed to, I felt like I was supposed to be somewhere the entire time. And I kept looking at the clock, and it was wrong. And I was like, I know that's not the right time. And so I looked at my phone. Uh, thank you for updating on the phone. So it was one of those weird mornings. Uh, but then all of a sudden, what I, what I loved is getting in the car here, and I just started turning on some uh, worship music. And I was like, okay, God, you got to take over. Because how many times in your life do things not go according to plan? <laughs> Every day. Our, our stuff because we have these plans we have these ideas of what we're supposed to live like be like do like uh get up i was planning my friday to be a lot different and then one of my girls is sick and my whole world changed and i was like oh, okay it changes things things happen just like this morning but as i was going there it's like god's in charge god's in control I'm, I, I am not. And that's why, as sort of, I just want to say that story is like, we, we think so many times, like, I hear the slogan all the time, um, you know, freedom isn't free. You know, it's, it was bought with a price. And, and how revealing is that, that our freedom was bought through Jesus' death? Death and resurrection. Because of what Jesus did, now we are able to be free. We are be able to be free with him. And I, I can't wait to discuss what happens right after the feeding of the 5,000. We're here. Jesus had fed them. He, he's, he's done this, and he now knows that they want to make him king, correct? We talked about that last time, and he's, he gets away. Uh, Jay said last time uh, when he was doing a skit, if you weren't here, he, we acted out. And so Jay is one of our elders, and he was portraying Jesus, and he was acting it out, going away from the crowd, even though the kids wanted to keep following him. Uh, Jay was thinking about going into the back room back there, but then he was scared that the door would lock and he would stay in there. <laughs> that was my plan the entire time. Lock them in there. So uh, I love uh, the little behind-the-scenes kind of stuff that I uh, get to share. But let's read this John 6, 16 through 21. So when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea of Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. 
The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. John 6, 16 through 21. So a little background, okay? This is the second storm that they had gone through together. The first one is more from Matthew 8, 24, where Jesus had rebuked and calmed the storm, okay? So this is the second storm uh, this is going on. So my first point in this is, uh, is story. My first point is let's, let's get the background story of what's going on. The men... Now, if you look at other Gospels, this story is also told in Matthew and Mark, okay? So this is told, and they were told to get into the boat and set off. The story is not told in Luke, and there's good reason for that, which I'll tell you a little bit later. Uh, A little bit of cliffhanger. Uh, uh, Many of the men, many of the disciples were fishermen, correct? So they knew how to fish. They knew what they were doing, so if they knew how to fish, what were they good at? Fishing, sailing, being on water. They were used to being at water at any time at night. I do like some people are like, well, they're good at fishing. What else are they good at? I don't don't know. They were good at being on water. They were on water at different times. That was their livelihood. So they were used to being on the sea. They were comfortable going out. But they also knew, and let's uh, be honest here, they knew that storms were powerful, and they had, there were very powerful winds that, uh, that were now doing this. Now, the Sea of Galilee is actually known for some really wicked storms. They could come on instantly and violently. And the reason for this is that, is that the Sea of Galilee is actually 600 feet below sea level. Okay, So it's, it's down there, and it's like uh, in this bowl. Like this bull of this like mountain. And so when the, uh, especially at night when temperature drops or temperatures go up or down, the temperature, all of a sudden there could be huge gust of wind. So they could be out there for a long time, but there's a huge gust of wind coming from Capernaum. Okay? Or uh, not Capernaum. Uh, the coming from um, uh, Capernaum, yeah. So they were not just going anywhere fast. So John is telling us the story for a reason. And as John 6, 19 states, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, coming near the boat. Sometimes we just bypass that. Like, okay, do you know what John is saying? They are in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. They aren't by the shore. They aren't, they're in the middle of it. Someone is walking on water. He is mentioning a miracle. I think sometimes in our Christian like mindset, we just sort of bypass, like, yep, that's cool. Like, it is. It's awesome. And we need to carry weight to that. But sometimes we, we miss it that, like, there's something going on. Jesus is walking on water. And he's coming towards them. And I, I, I want us to, to sit in that weight. Because it's very important. They are witnessing a miracle. 
And what's so unique about this is many people know this story. Think about many people that do not believe in God, not do, uh, that are atheists, or they semi, they're semi-spiritual. When, they, when you hear about Jesus, most of them know about the cross. Most of them would even say, oh yeah, I heard he walked on water. You know, like it's one of those stories that just sort of gets told. But at some point, you either have to decide, do I believe it or is it just false? But this is where I, it gets really, the Jewish audience that they were talking to, they would have had a different background to what John is really talking about. Many scholars believe that's why Matthew, Mark, and John have this story in there and not Luke. Because Matthew, Mark, and, uh, and John are talking to much more of a Jewish culture. Now, they also were Gentile, but Luke was much more Gentile of the writers. So there is a Jewish background to what this story is going on to. And, and I can't wait to div, dive into this. So, many of us, as the Jewish readers or hearers of the story, it would have brought them back to memories of stuff in the Old Testament. How many of you have a song that when it happens to listen to the radio, it takes you back to a place? Boom. You and Me by Lifehouse. Danielle, my song. That song comes on, boom, instant, going back. There's some other songs that might take you back to another time, not so great, that you go back to. Hmm, maybe it's something else. Now, that's more individual, right? That's more of an individual. But when you talk like 9-11, boom, a lot of you can remember exactly where you were when you found out about 9-11. Some of you, maybe not even born, but if you hear Pearl Harbor, some of you were, <laughs> but it takes you back to a place. It's an instant bringing to it. That's what the writers in the Bible do so well. They're bringing you to a point and a purpose of why the story is being told and the importance of the story, of what is, what's it about, and that's what's happening right here in this this, uh, this talk. So my next point is Old Testament water. Okay? Old Testament waters. Let's just say that water is used a really lot in the Bible. And I can't wait to, at some point in the future, do a, do a series about it, do a, a series. We can't go through it all right now, but there, there's some that we, we can just talk about really quickly. Uh, you know, from Israel walking in between the waters of the Red Sea to a baptism of water and by the Holy Spirit, there's just so much that has to do with water. But we're going to start in Genesis 2, okay? We're Genesis 1, verse 2. So Genesis 1, verse 2 says this. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. <laughs> the unprecedented water and sea is a very common symbol of cosmic disorder in the world. So if you see it, the Spirit was hovering over the face of the waters. So the waters is a symbol of basically chaos and disorder. 
And you have to remember that God is one that brings order and design. Dr. Heiser, one of the professors that, uh, that I uh, dig, uh, dig into, talks about how there is a symbol of the chaos in the waters, but there is a, also this cosmetic or a cosmic anarchy that is shown in the way of a sea monster known as Leviathan. So it's just not the sea, there's also the sea monster, okay? Leviathan. If you haven't read about it, okay, it's basically your worst nightmare. It's like Godzilla, uh, this huge, you know, it's, it's massive. It cannot be uncontrolled. It's used as another symbol of chaos, bringing something that we cannot control. There's chaos from the waters, and, and, and that's what it's known for. He says this about it. The image of chaos as an untamed monster in the churning, erratic seas was common throughout the ancient world. People accustomed to land would naturally view the vast raging oceans as uncontrollable and potentially deadly, filled with terrifying unknown creatures. Do you know that still today they are finding creatures that we never knew about? Like, there's video about creatures that we still, like, we think we know it all. And then all of a sudden, like, down in the depths where, like, cameras can, are, like, barely hanging on because of the pressure, they, they find, like, an octopus that's, like, longer than they ever thought. Or a fish that, like, has no eyes but still swims around. Like, they still are finding things that we don't even know about. But we feel like we can control and, and it's just part of this chaos that there's things that we can't control. So during this time, many people, many religions in, uh, in the Mediterranean would talk about their deities being able to control or destroy these sea monsters and to be able to restore it. But in the, New, uh, the Old Testament, it's Yahweh that has made order in all the cosmos. A verse that I would write down is Job 26, 12 through 13. It says this, He quieted the sea with his power, and by his understanding he shattered Rahab. Rahab, okay? That means a storm or a great power of evil. By his breath, we'll talk about Yahweh, the heavens are cleared. His hand has pierced the fleeing serpent. Also, Isaiah 27, 1, if you want to write that. In that day, the Lord with his uh, hard and great and strong sword will punish Leviathan, the twisted servant. Leviathan, the crooked, crooked servant, and he will slay the dragon that is in the sea. We've also talked about uh, the different parts of Yahweh, or like parting the Red Sea, parting it. He has now controlled it. He has now brought order because what he was did is he defeated the evil that was after Israel with them being controlled. So all of these are trying to say that the Old Testament, when they heard this story, would think of water as being chaos. As, and think about it. They're in a storm of chaos. They're in a storm of chaos, and all of a sudden, Jesus is walking on water. Let's go to the New Testament. New Testament waters. 
It's talked about in Revelations 21.1. You know, and this is why I think it's so unique that you have to know the whole Bible as a full story. As, as you know, and that's why you've got to be very careful of taking just one verse and making it what you want. I use the verse all the time because it's uh, the simplest one. Jesus wept. Okay. Why'd he, why'd he weep? Why'd he wept? You know, and what happens is people come up with these great ideas. Great ideas. But is it what Scripture says? And that's why you have to know Scripture as a whole and continue to learn it. And that's why it's like an onion that you keep peeling back you keep peeling back, and there's more there, and it's more there, and you keep discovering it, and that's what the biblical truth is. It's not what you put into it. It's what it gives out, and that's the goal. Revelation 21 1 says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth has passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Why would you add that? If there's no earth, no heaven, okay, we get that. But why is he saying there's no longer any sea? It's controlled chaos. That's, it's the chaos now. It's no more. It's no longer there. There's no more there. It is it's so awesome. You're talking Revelation all the way to Genesis 2. It is a combined thing. It, it didn't stop in that the, the Holy Spirit was hovering over the chaotic waters. God made things right. Sin happens. Boom. That's where we come in. Oh, yes, let's sin. There's chaos. There's evil. There's the, the Satan. There's all this kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden says, and sends Jesus. He, he purifies us, but they're still there. But there will be a day where there is no longer no more sea, no more chaos, no more of this. Because he is in charge. Even... Uh, Jesus spoke of the roaring of the tossing of the sea. He's even spoke about it in Luke 21 and 25 as part of the tribulations at the end times, that even in our end times, there will be the tossing of the sea. Shocker, chaos. He, he's talking about even Daniel. And the reason why I put Daniel in this part is because he's talking about things not, that have not yet happened. But Daniel, just enjoy Daniel. If you ever... Uh, get a chance just uh, dig in. Daniel 7, 1 and 8 talks about this vision of the kingdom of God, and it talks about these four beasts that come out of a stormy tossed sea. He says in Daniel 7, 2 through 3, it says, Daniel said, in my vision at night, I looked up and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up this great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the other, uh, came up out of the sea. Okay, let's, none of these sea creatures are sea creatures. They're not, they're not from the water. They're all, they're a lion with wings of an eagle that get ripped off and then you stand like a man. There's a bear. There's, uh, there's uh, with uh, large teeth. Then there's, uh, uh, there's a, the very powerful one, large iron teeth crushing its victims uh, it was different from the other beasts. It had ten horns with a small horn and the eyes like a, uh, like a human. And then the other one was a, a leopard. The, he, they're coming out from the sea. Why are these creatures coming out from the sea? They are coming out of chaos. They are coming out of the, the sea. So the Old Testament people would know this, and the New Testament people would know what John is saying here. 
and all this imagery, and you're like, John, you're not telling a lot of your stories. You're giving a lot more background information of what's going on. Well, I think sometimes the whole series is his will. His will. A lot of times we can't do his will until we know who he is. And this is what John is basically saying. And I don't know if the point four made it, but Jesus is God incarnate. Jesus is saying that he is Yahweh. Like him and they are connected. This is not, this is a bold, bold statement that John is saying that Jesus is walking on water because he controls the water. He controls it. The sea doesn't control it. The sea doesn't. This is, this is, especially in that time, this is a bold statement. The people reading and hearing this would have known the implications of what John's saying. The problem today is that we mark it up as just another cool story that Jesus did. We put no weight into it. We actually dismiss it as a party trick. That we lose the, the bigness of this story. The, the, the weight of it. He just doesn't control the sea. He subdues all the evils of chaos. His life and his will is imposed on the waters. Heiser ends with this quote. The kingdom of the Son of Man has begun, and all forces opposing God's ordained order would now be defeated. Like Jesus' disciples, we can find comfort in knowing that the one who treads upon the violent sea can subdue whatever chaos threatens to overwhelm us. The question I have is, does Jesus hold that weight to you? Does, when chaos enters your life, when the raging seas are around, who walks on water for you? Because I can tell you so many times I want to do it on myself. I'm, I'm there half sinking, like I get like a stick and I, I'm acting like I'm paddling, like I'm doing anything. Like how many times do you, you just want to control the situation? What is so unique about the story, though, is the end of the story. We always get caught on walking on water that we miss another part of John's account. Verse 21 of John 6, 21 says, Then they were glad to take him into the boat. Well, stop there. How many of you, when you get to experience Jesus, like, you experience it like, you want to tell people. You're excited. There's something there that like, is just special. There's a piece there that you can't explain. There have been times in my life where I've been driving, the window down, and all of a sudden, I'm like worshiping, and like I don't want to get out of that situation. I want to just keep driving. I don't want the gas. I don't want to have to pull over for gas. I don't want the other responsibilities. I just want to be with Jesus. And it gets so hard. The reason why that's so hard for us today is because we have so many other things. And I get it. We have responsibilities. I got two kids. There are times where I am responsible and I have to to do that. But I also have to find my time with God. What does that look like in your life? Because what happens is all the chaos happens. And all what we do is we say, oh, these are good things. 
because I'm getting things done. Your things done are rags unless God's in it. They're dirty rags. They're not even rags. They're dirty, rotten rags. You can't do anything separate from him. That's good. And already some of you are like, ah, yeah, I can. <laughs> that is a foothold from the enemy. That is a foothold because we think we can do it. We think we can earn it. We think we can. You know why I can speak on it? It's because I think I can earn it myself. The things I do, I'm good enough. I can make it. Like, God, didn't you see what I did? My participation trophy? Thank you. It's a picture. Awesome. Hi. I prayed 15 minutes today. Thank you. All of a sudden, God loves me more? That's not the way. We have lost the fact that Jesus is the ruler and king of all. And the reason why I want to say king is one of my buddies was watching Lord of the Rings. Okay? How, how many people have seen Lord of the Rings? All right. Good. Okay. Um, he was talking about it in the way that he's like the, how the people would treat the king. When the king said something, people would do something. They would do what he said because he's the king. Do we treat Jesus that way? No. Well, then is he really your king? Mm. Because that is... If he's your king and he asks you to do something, if he's controlling, if he's doing it, then are you obedient to it? Even when you don't understand it, even when the waters are going around you, when it's chaos over there, it's really easy to follow something when everything's going really well. But when the water, when you are 600 feet below sea level, the winds are coming up at you. They're directed at you. And how many times in your life have you been like, I am, it's me versus the world, it's me, there's no one else here, and the winds are right at you. Who do you fall on, and who is your king? And too many times in my life, I would say, I put myself there. But when I have put Jesus on that throne, that's when you see glorious things. That's when you see miracles. That's when you see things that you can't explain, or the things that you want to tell other people about. Because he's a loving king, a gracious king. Because some of you have the wrong view of Jesus as king. Some of you, uh, and maybe not even you, but you know of people that viewed uh, uh, the Jesus as king as uh, a tyrant. Some of, as him as your homeboy. Some of you, like, you, we have to have a biblical view of the king and master. He is the Lord of lords. He is king above all. And what I love, too, is it doesn't matter if you recognize him not now or later, all knees will bow. That's, that's pretty cool, like in the sense. I'm going to have the band come up, but as, as they come up, I watched a video the other day, and, um, and sometimes it was a short video of a girl saying that if Jesus came right down and like provided signs and would do these things right in front of her. Like whatever, even if she asked to do it, she still wouldn't believe. And the thing is, hot or cold, she chose. 
because there's nothing that that happens. And the reason why is if I ask you if this Bible's true, the scripture's true, do you actually believe Jesus walked on water? That he controls chaos, that he controls this, that he's in charge. And if you are, then that's what we need to live by. We need to not live by this like fairy tale kind of like, yeah, I'm I'm living it to get into heaven. If he's your king, he's asking you to live it now. He's asking you to go across the street and love your neighbor when no one else does, when he's a jerk to you. He's asking you to love your business partner. He's asking you to love your employees. What's so unique, though, is I can't answer every question for you, but I can guarantee you the Holy Spirit has pushed you at times, and do you listen or don't you? And the reason why I ask you that is, who's your king? Is the NFL your king? Is college football your king? Is your money your king? Is your job your king? Is the way people perceive you your king? I can't answer that for you. I can tell you that I I want to lay everything at his feet. That is my goal. And but just like me, I fail. And I get into the chaos. But you can look up. Because this is what happens after, after in verse 21, it says this, they got in the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Immediately. Another miracle that we just bypassed. They're still three miles out, maybe four. And immediately they're there. Because they have put their trust in Jesus. Sometimes I can't explain it. I don't know why they were immediately there. I don't know how they got immediately there, but I can guarantee you this, they were immediately there. In your life, do you put trust in Jesus to get you immediately there? And here's the weird thing, and here's the hard thing. Because if he's your king, if he is your king, are you willing to die for your king? Or are you willing to go into battle for your king? Are you willing? Because it's so, so cool as we like, yeah, I'll be his right-hand servant. I'll do all that kind of stuff. But then it's like, we got to go to battle. We got to go to war. We got to do this. Are you willing to do that? So as I view this whole story, the Old Testament is being fulfilled by the New Testament. It's a beautiful, beautiful tapestry of what Jesus has done. And the Jewish people would have seen that. So during this time, as we sing, I want you to just wrestle with, in your mind, is Jesus king? Is Jesus in charge of your chaos in your life? Because some of you have chaos. And it might be small, it might be big, but is he in charge of it? I want you to wrestle with God as we sing this song, and then I'll come up and close.